All rise. The Honourable Post Movie presiding. That's right, it's me, Judge Movie, Ben Flanagan. The movie judge who judges movies based on whether or not they've committed crimes against cinema. I'm in court today, as ever, with cinema attorney, Alicia. How are you doing? I'm good, hi. Yeah, I'm here, and I'm going to try and defend post-horror. That's right. I have got a bit of a bone to pick with it, so we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about the new uh, film from A24, Hereditary, uh, which has been out a little while and has got a lot of buzz for Tony Collette's performance. Yeah, we're going to be looking around the conversation around that and where post-horror fits in A24's role in post-horror and what that term really means. So stick around. What have you got against post-horror? Okay, I've got an opening statement here that I'm going to read for you all. I think the definition of uh, post-horror was coined by Steve Rose in the Guardian article last year. Uh, it's actually a really vaguely defined term that attempts to create a movement but ends up undermining a whole genre. So Rose makes it through this article in which he speaks around It Comes at Nights, poor audience reception, and groups together films as disparate as last year's Get Out and A Ghost Story without ever charting their stylistic genre elements. Uh, his only real argument, and we'll link to the article in the show notes, is to collect these films as a sort of shared elevation of existential dread as a theme, as opposed to jump scares. Um, as many horror fans who are as disgruntled as I have pointed out, this is far from anything new. Um, Nia edwards Behe uh, wrote in Art- Wales Arts Review of the change that's been noted between the monstrous creature classic horror of the 30s to 60s when films like Psycho, Peeping Tom, Eyes Without a Face, Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre came along. Of course, a lot of these creatures, monsters and aliens were much about human concerns as any psycho. And that, to me, to judge movie, is why many have taken exception to Rose's use of post-horror, because there's nothing actually post about it. These films, and some of them really are exceptional modern entries into the genre, as, as we'll discuss, are something close to horror revival, bringing the genre out of this sort of torture porn jump scare phase that it was stuck in since 9-11. To use post-horror, as many marketing departments have, and I am looking at you, A24, as a way of separating your latest film from masterpieces like The Exorcist, Cat People or Don't Look Now, is to encourage audiences to corrode the effect and history of an entire genre. So I'd argue that we need generic genre terms to identify uh, films and group them together and I think it increases our understanding of these films if we have these terms and these structures to look at the patterns that reoccur across these films. Um, So that's why it's useful to have something like post-horror. And genre terms are understood as a negotiation between audiences and filmmakers and marketers because it's about what you're expecting and maybe how those expectations are met or subverted. And there is something happening right now. There is a wave of, of horror movies that are not meeting an audience's expectations. Maybe they're surprising them in good ways or bad ways. Like you mentioned, uh, something like It Comes at Night had a poor audience reception. The Witch was like baffling to people because there was like this accuracy to historical detail that you wouldn't always see in a, expect in a horror film. And these movies need to be recognised. They're happening together. And a lot of them are out by A24 but that's playing into how we understand and respond to the films so we need something like post-horror to label these films to think about them effectively 
you're right that we need something like post-horror, but post-horror is such a uh, term that seems to be purposefully misdirecting the audience that it's actually, that's why I say, say it's doing more harm than good. Um, post-horror implies you were moving beyond it, we're moving past horror, um, but horror is a genre that has got enduring popularity but has also always been looked at looked down upon by um a certain audience or certain critical um community and that's why it needs people with who are part of the genre to actually stand up for it and appreciate what the the genre can bring i think you're right it's interesting what maybe defines these movies is critical respect so maybe the only thing that maybe brings these into is a good critical response and that does have a very i don't know if you should really define genres by what critics like something like the conjuring which has got well that that did have quite a good critical response Mm -hmm. but um if, if the conversation around it or the marketing around it had been slightly different it could have been seen as a lot more of an art film than it is in the way it is seen so James Wan's uh, who directed that in 2013 that's kind of his it was probably his biggest film at the time he'd done stuff like Saw mm-hmm. uh, Saw 2 but The Conjuring was sort of him moving into a different sort of realm with it, the scares being a little bit more esoteric and a period sort of setting mm-hmm. so you could picture if A24 had had picked up The Conjuring that it would have been sold as this sort of crazy art film it's got really slow zooms in it it's really quite an evocative film but because it's Bloomhouse, it was marketed completely as a schlock fest yeah. um the same with get out although that's my maybe a different well maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves there but um i think paranormal activity might even be another one i keep thinking back to that as like somehow the start of this like of this genre cycle um because it's so slow. I think in my notes I said it was like Chantal Ackerman. Mm-hmm. It is so slow and it is just sort of domestic. And then you'll get a jump scare after sitting there for sort of 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's that's post-horror. It's only kind of um, fulfilling the, the scares because it out of a sense of sort of obligation. But maybe that's not even what Paranormal Activity is interested in. Um, so the writer who coined the term, Steve Rose... When he was describing post-horror, he was saying uh, films that use horror tropes to approach something else. Um, for example, a ghost story uses this image of the ghost, you know, a supernatural figure, to kind of explore other themes. It doesn't really try to scare you. It's it's an example of like slow cin- cinema, and that's also happening with other movies at the moment. Uh, how do you feel about that? Movies that you could be considered horror but are using it for different effects but that is something completely different to what the witch is doing the witch is a horror movie it has the beats of a horror film it has the family sort of one by what people getting picked off one by one it has a sort of shock ending it's got a monster there mm-hmm. it's that is a horror film so put that in the same sort of category as a ghost story just because a ghost story has a literal ghost in it seems uh, reductive for both movies okay. oh obviously um the ghost story is influenced by a picture pong rastical uh who often uses magical realism in his films 
spirits coming in and out of real life. So are they suddenly horror movies? Yes. Well, I, maybe they're post-horror. Steve Rosen can consider them post-horror because it's using those... Uh, like, using the iconography to explore a different effect, I think. Do you think a ghost is necessarily a horror trope or can you have a ghost without it summoning that i think yeah if you look back if it's a friendly ghost so. <laughs> yeah i guess yeah maybe if people called casper a horror movie people would think that was reductive to horror and comedy because just because it has a ghost um i think i don't know the history of ghosts i think it's it's a supernatural thing first and that's been taken into different genres like mysteries and then horror yeah. films so maybe it's not a horror iconography but i don't know well it's definitely tied to that the thing like the woman in black or poe well as i was saying i guess like part of genre definition is audience expectations mm -hmm. so people seeing a ghost are expecting a horror film which i guess is what steve rose is referring to thinking about personal shopper which uh, Steve Rose says is a horror film, and I think I was leaning towards thinking that that might be in, it might be sort of a post horror film. If we're talking about it as being something that's away from horror, Personal Shoppers kind of Hitchcockian, Kristen Stewart's a tw uh, one half of a set of twins whose brothers died, and she's uh, mm. thinks that she's a seance, and she thinks that she's sort of getting in touch with him. Um, but actually thinking of all of Assayas' movies, like Clouds of Sils Maria and Summer Hours, they're all about like ghosts of the past that linger in some way. So they're not, they're just not as literal, mm -hmm. but something like Summer Hours, which is about family's sort of generational um, sort of exchange with the past and the way things around you hold on to memories. That's a ghost story as much as, as much as a ghost story is, yeah. which is exactly the same kind, doing yeah. the same kind of thing, but in a more literal sense. Okay. So, but you couldn't, even if Summer Hours is a ghost story in that kind of metaphorical sense, mm -hmm. I couldn't think of it as a horror movie. That's cool. The personal shopper is almost like a logical conclusion of Olivia Sess's work. That's cool. Um, I guess there's something about the imagery of a ghost. Mm -hmm. um, and like, yeah, taking those familiar tropes in a different way so let's talk about a24 okay. um because i feel like they're in a way they're on trial as, as the, if, yeah. if we can sort of blame anyone for it i think we we want to blame them or i want to blame them mm -hmm. um what is it that they've done differently to other um to, to people like bloomhouse say i guess the way they market their films is to allude to it to art cinema and imply that their films are arty. And look, look to, I guess they want to look like they're appealing to a certain kind of person rather than to everyone. Um, but maybe they should be. Maybe these films are doing something different and we need to recognise that. You know, some genres have been invented by the studio, but they do have this kind of house style or even like this similarity that makes sense to put them together. For sure, I think that is something that A24 does really well, is actually the way they've created the collection. It does feel like, a, it, it, they, all those A24 movies do feel of a piece yeah. to me. I think that will probably happen less as they their collection expands, but 
Yeah, I think that's probably what's so crucial to A24's identity is because they're such a new studio and they've got so few films. Mm -hmm. They're making it look like they have chosen these things. So like that idea of curatorship or people with taste are choosing these things and putting them together is part of their identity at this time. They brought yeah. that to the forefront of like what a film, an indie studio yeah. is. Aren't they? Probably in the biggest way since Miramax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is The Knee and Demon a post-horror? Um, I would say it's it's a horror film. I think it operates within the genre rather than outside the genre. Okay. Um, How so? I think there's a sustained dread um, I guess I mean I think exp using horror imagery or storylines or metaphors to explore an issue I guess in the case of Neon Demon like female beauty and modelling and how people kind of take possession of that and how narcissism can cons consume you and others um, like that's not new horror's always used metaphors like that yeah. which is what happens in the Neon Demon but the Neon Demon also sort of breaks a lot of your um, breaks with a lot of sort of structure of how a horror movie would pay off. Say, um, it sort of spends a whole movie getting to the what might be the first sort of half an hour of of any other horror movie, I think. And then when the cannibalism spoilers for the Neon Demon, when the cannibalism does sort of come around, it's not. Um, it's not really for scares at that point, is it? It sort of seems like he's sort of trying to critique the... It's like the end point of his critique of okay. the, the fashion world rather than, you know, sort of plot sense. Okay. So is, he, is, is winning Raffin just going through the motions of it at that point? And would that make it a post-horror fit? Um, from what you're saying, there is an argument for it, I guess, yeah. And now I'm arguing for post-horror. <laughs> so did you enjoy The Neon Demon? Uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really fun movie, um, and it's and it's got a lot of influence of like Jallo, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Not a genre that I know loads about, but having seen stuff like Suspiria, that's all over it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But then it's also just as much as riffing on Sunset Boulevard as well. Okay, yeah. Is Sunset Boulevard the first post horror movie? <laughs> I don't know. I think because that's a ghost story in a sense, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, that's true. It is narrated by William Holden from the Beyond the Grave. Um, I don't know. I think genres evolve over time. So looking back, there are some like iconography where at the time people might consider it a mystery or a noir, but now we consider it like because it's so expressionist, like to be horror. So it could be, but at the time, I think they, I don't know, they were going to some kind of, I don't know. I want to, I, th I think part of what rubs a lot of people the wrong way about the Steve Rose article is uh, the sort of implication that um, these new films are actually films that are suddenly dealing with uh, issues and themes and no horror movies before have ever done that. Mm -hmm. When stuff like Fear of Children and Pregnancy and Childbirth or... Uh, feminism have always been prevalent in horror films mm -hmm. uh, not just in the Polanski stuff like Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion but you can see it in Sisters by De Palma or um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre which is a sort of about a weird American family mm -hmm. um, horror movies are always dealing with 
our societal anxieties. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. There is a the history of horror. It's always been doing what you've described. It's always been doing that and engaging with anxieties in that way um, and reflecting society. But a part of genre definition is audience expectations. And at the moment, I think maybe people aren't open enough to horror to think to recognise that history. And so if they think of horror, they think of jump scares, they think of gore. The most recent production cycles of horror, I think, have been what torture porn and the haunted house jump scare yeah. thing. Does that have a cool name? I don't think it does. No, yeah. it's just that's the paranormal activity. Yeah, paran- paranormal activity is yeah. basically the word for it, I guess. <laughs> paranormal activity, and at the moment we're experiencing a, a wave of yeah. that kind of horror film. So we do need to distinguish that from maybe audience expectations to those other movies. So it's necessary because the audiences have been like. Uh, gaslit into thinking that horror is like this certain thing yeah we now need to trick them into appreciating it as something else yeah even if it is just it's been yeah is that is that like somehow speaking down to the audience i I think it might be but maybe i mean horror is quite a divisive genre i mean how many people do you meet that say oh no i don't watch horror films like they rule out completely but then it turns out their expectation of horror film is quite narrow and maybe what they really mean is, oh, I don't like gore, oh, I don't like being scared, or like things like that. And then they watch, they try something else. And it's like, oh, but that that's not even a horror film because it didn't do those things. But maybe it's doing other things that are technically part of horror. I think it's always funny when you when there's when you come across someone like that and you do watch a horror film with them, and they're always shocked that the first hour of every horror movie is like completely boring and nothing. Yeah. Happens. They're like, but this is a horror movie, and they sort of go, oh, it's strange that no one's died yet mm-hmm. even though that's not what yeah so so their expectation has completely sort of yeah switched how how they actually experience the movie itself yeah i guess we need like a widespread history lesson of yeah. why horrors go great but then some stuff that gets into the other problem with films like the exorcist and the shining which culturally have this such a sort of crazy sort of place in the culture is like the scariest movies ever people were fainting weren't they yeah but now they do look really dated Mm -hmm. they're quite hard to take without a bit of context yeah so you can't just show someone the exorcist and that's it for a lot of people okay because it's so dated so because then they'll go this is ridiculous this is campy Mm -hmm. so but I think that the exorcist is like still a brilliant brilliant movie Mm mhm so how do you kind of get how do you swing people around to that way of thinking well first you show them post horror (laughs) you get them open up to the idea of that horror movies can do different things or film post horror films can do different things with horror tropes and iconography and then you look back to their influences and then then you get a complete understanding of horror but then there's still there's still something different between the witch and it follows and I guess the neon demon although it might sit somewhere in the middle or split or get out and a film like uh, Personal Shopper which mm-hmm. or The Ghost Story because they're, they're on two different sides I think we've been in post-horror we've got maybe it's we need post-horror as one word and post-horror with a hyphen <laughs> <laughs> okay 
I think if we're going to accuse post-horror of a crime, I think it's maybe Steve Rowe's article not being clear enough. Because <laughs> when he's describing post-horror, he is referring to films like um, A Ghost Story, the which we've said is not a horror film, mm-hmm. but it's relating to horror. It's maybe using those tropes and using them in a different way in a different genre. But his article doesn't really make that clear, and people yeah. are confusing it with this as a catch-all term for all arty horror movies that are maybe subverting expectations a little bit i think in one we've got yeah it's it's what you're saying so i because i just cannot i can't sit by and have the witch called (laughs) a post-horror film it just isn't it's a it's a a horror film it follows a horror film the babadook is a very conventional horror movie it's a Mm -hmm. fantastic film but it is a conventional horror film Mm -hmm. Um, i think yeah in his article he's referring to how like horror so they're like relatively they're relative hits mm-hmm. and that's new um especially get out which was a huge hit yeah. for a horror film which we haven't had in a while um but then he's confusing that with something like a ghost story which i don't think that wasn't a hit right no it was talked about but it yeah. wasn't a hit no um so he's saying those films are resonating with audiences but I don't know, it's a very confused article. <laughs> it is really. Because, um, I mean, yeah, th- so these films like A Ghost Story, Personal Shopper, um, It Comes at Night, using horror tropes to, to say one thing. But then I think even It Comes at Night is in that first category because it still goes yeah. through the motions. Another film, so we've got Personal Shopper and A Ghost Story. I'd like to add Always Shine, which is a really good uh, film from 2015 directed by Sophia Takal that's about um, two struggling female actors who uh, go in the woods together and kind of lose their identity with each other, start to sort of shift into each other and there's some other sort of strange references to horror films that aren't quite horror movies but it's used to kind of externalise what's going on uh, with the character's psychology. So it's not a horror film, it just uses elements of horror to to get to its meaning. Yeah. And that's something, somehow something different to... Yeah, well, I'd say that's, that's post-horror, not horror. Yeah. Post-horror air quotes. So, po- that's, so we got post-horror I think that's quotes. a, it's a working title, really. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it's confusing because in Steve Rose's article, I'm trying to, like, make sense of it. He's got too many threads running through it. Yeah. Like, there's a box office horror movies. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But they're conventional horror movies. And then there's arty horror movies at the moment that are getting critical praise they usually release by 24 and then there's movies that aren't horror movies that are using horror elements to say something yeah but his article is discussing all of them and then you think all of them are post-horror yeah right he's he's kind of he's almost doing the same thing that he's accusing horror of doing yeah in lumping it all together uh-huh. um, maybe that, that steve rose is is critical of post-horror because these movies have been you there have been lots of movies using horror elements to say different things and that's been happening for years as well like funny games yeah could be maybe the first post-horror film the michael hanukkah film uh made in 1997 about a family that's i guess it's like a hostage movie yeah home invasion home invasion movie um it's a home invasion movie where this family's kind of taunted by these two young boys two young young lads (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that's that's quite genre self-aware. It breaks yeah. the fourth wall, and that's that's talking about horror. But but I get, I also feel like some people 
would probably argue that Funny Games isn't a horror film. Mm -hmm. Again, I guess the same sort of critics that might be fond of Haneke mm -hmm. might not want the genre film that gives into the sort of lurid impulses that a lot of these movies do. They probably l like Funny Games because it admonishes people for enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, it's really tricky with that one. There's a great review on Leatherboxd. Um, I can't be able to find it right now, but I might, <laughs> might link it in the show notes um, where someone's talking about how I don't care if Michael Haneke doesn't want me to enjoy this as a horror film because I am. Like, he is effectively doing it. Right. He's made, he, Even though he doesn't want to make an effective horror film, he has done. And part of the film is how someone responds to it. And he's responding, this person's responding to it as a, as a good horror film. So Haneke's sort of done a Tommy Wiseau. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wiseau yes. made the great comedy. Yeah. Haneke made the great horror. Yes. Yeah. I f weirdly, though, I feel like you could do a comparison between those two. Oh my God. Yeah, that'd be great. They both kind of look the same. Yeah. They take place in a house. <laughs> yeah. With the Well, I'm, I've only actually seen the Funny Games US. So oh, cool. Naomi Watts kind of has the same she look does, as yeah. Lisa. Or, and she's definitely subject Watts. to the most... Terror? Yeah. Things? Yeah. yeah the there's two, a little boy. There is. There's no scene where Tommy Wiseau like rewinds the the past scene though. So no. So that Greg doesn't get away with it. Is the room the first place on the <laughs> film? I don't think it's intentionally evoking horror movies. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna stop that. <laughs> Do you think that horror is always having this kind of moment, though, where there's a certain community that's really into it and there's other people that just don't like it at all and that yeah, the genre evolves with, with the sort of... with each decade and, um, and, and, and this is just a new way for it to, to sort of reinvent itself or, or not even reinvent itself, but just... Definitely, yeah. I think the history of horror is a history of production cycles and revivals, and new things keep coming in. That kind of, I guess, initially they subvert expectations, um, like uh, I don't know slasher films, but then we become familiar with them, and then a new thing has to come in. Like so, after slasher, I don't know, was it the Japanese influenced remakes that are doing like creepy haunted house thing? Um, so yeah, that then that subverts our expectation of horror. We expect horror to be a slasher film, but then this new thing comes along and it's it's playing with it differently. But, but and, and maybe post horror is different because it's more uh, about sort of a aesthetic difference rather than like the slasher is a g generic kind of narrative structure. Narrative, yeah. yeah. Um, there isn't like a unified narrative for post horror movies yeah. yet. But it's an aesthetic thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they played it accidentally before Peter Rabbit in Australia uh -huh. and all the kids ran out of the cinema screaming that's fair France once in like 1997 I think and I was watching Stuart Little but they accidentally played the wrong film they played Seven so you know the start of Seven where it's just like oh god yeah ah, like yeah. scratching and stuff and that was playing and I was like not really with it how old were you? like six or something oh god so you weren't scarred? no I was just like this is something like Stuart Little which I'd already seen yeah. I was like yeah but yeah, people care was crying children and stuff. It was great. Wow. They switched it back. We okay. Just, we just see Shirley still. Right, so yeah, I guess this would have been like, what, in the 90s, so everyone ha was looking at one screen rather than you had your own personal screen. 
Oh, right. So I feel like that would be harder to police if some kid just started watching Seven on their own. Yeah. How do they do that now? I guess you just chill. It's just parental lock, yeah. Yeah. I think I was such a good girl, I would have been like, I don't think this is right. I would have told someone. Yeah, I'd I'd watch, like, horrible movies and feel really weird and be like, I shouldn't be watching this, I shouldn't be doing this. And then I'd tell my mum, I'll watch this really violent film. She'd be like, why is he... I could have just not said anything. No. Just stay quiet. God damn it. I mean, but you can't blame. That's all right. I think that's a good instinct to have. What to? To share. I don't to know. Acknowledge you're doing something wrong. I was a self snitch. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So I would say post story is a necessary term, but it's been met with such a hostile reaction. Like, can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, if it's justified well I guess it's what what we were saying earlier about the about that kind of um, rejection of the past mm-hmm. um, because of the video nasties era uh, where people have actually had to fight to have these films like seen at all to have these films sort of recognised as art and not just sort of complete trash yeah for then people that are actually making horror films to be rejecting that as well I think is probably seen by some as like a slap in the face yeah um and I think there's also a bit of the aesthetic elitism as well, like the the slowness of a lot of these post horror films mm-hmm. isn't necessarily giving into the same kind of uh, the sort of trashier trash art aspects of of films like Brain Dead or the Evil Dead movies mm-hmm. or whatever else, Cemetery Man or something. I think that's definitely valid. There's a history of like people saying oh this isn't a horror film this is something else because they want to distance themselves from horror which isn't really fair to the genre because it's so diverse and rich but i think the backlashes misunderstanding steve rose's definition of post-horror because post-horror films are not even horror films they're just using horror (laughs) tropes he's not saying for better or for worse he's not saying this makes them better than horror films they're just saying it's using horror tropes in a different way to say something and maybe that backlash you know it's to make the argument's very strong i think from the horror community to his term but he's not saying yeah he's not trying to i don't know there's a tinge of elitism but i think he's he's trying to discuss something else i think there's elitism on both sides really okay and that's not helping it's about what people see as what film should be i guess Mm -hmm. um but also there's a chance that Steve Rose would just write some clickbait for the Guardian <laughs> and even if he had a good point the editorial title kind of yeah. yeah kind of ruined it either way it is an exciting time I think there's a lot of really good movies coming out yeah a lot of great horror films post or not so ladies and gentlemen after some deliberation I find post horror guilty and sentence it to six months of community service and it must attend a history course in Horror 101. That's guilty on one count of alienating horror fans, guilty of embezzling horror by reappropriating it as art house, guilty on one count of a confusing title. The court does recognise, however, that post-horror has brought to light the phenomena of non-genre horror films utilising genre movie tropes for unique effect. As for Steve Rose... Well, he's not on trial today, but although he's certainly guilty of clickbaiting cinema culture, his evidence has led to our discussion today, and for that I shall let him and the Guardian section walk free. So now we're going to talk about Hereditary. 
My mother was a very secretive and private woman. Um, so Hereditary came out about a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, we're recording this in early July. Um, it's this new Tony Collette film from A24 directed by... Ari Aster. It's directed by Ari Aster, who's an AFI graduate and made some really good short films, such as... Why do I put myself in this situation? Something about the Johnsons? Did you hear the, about the Johnsons? The thing about the Johnsons? Okay. Yeah. Um, which is an amazing short film, and he did another really good one um, that was... He, he sort of plays with, like, family images and Norman Rockwell kind of, uh, like, cliches and puts a darker spin on it. I think that's kind of his thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is his like full-blown horror masterpiece for his first movie. Um, Tony Collette plays a woman, like a matriarch of a family whose mother dies, um, and then her daughter starts exhibiting some very strange... Um, behavior? Behavior, that's the word. <laughs> you keep okay? having to finish my sandwiches. <laughs> You should let me finish that one. Oh, damn it. You keep having to finish my... Sandwiches. Sentences. <laughs> it's super enthralled to movies like uh, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and Don't Look Now, but also to uh, like Swedish films like Bergman's like Wild Strawberries or Fanny and Alexander. Mm -hmm. It's all sort of interior, mostly set in that one house, and it's about sort of uh, ghosts of the past lingering as mm -hmm. say similar to how we talked about with um some of olivia Sers's work uh -huh. i think you can feel that in there as well yeah um i loved it yeah uh yeah i think it really used the sort of bloom house cycle the insidious or the the paranormal activity like tropes and put it into a super uh just brilliantly directed uh work by ari Aster. i think it it has some of the best acting that i've seen this year not just from Tony Collette, but from your boy Alex Wolf as well, mm -hmm. um, and that little clucking girl. Yeah, um, was great, terrifying. Um, I think this is totally the sort of horror movie that that we need to energize, um, like mainstream horror. Oh, great! Okay. But yeah. the question is, is it post horror? <laughs> um, I think so. By our understanding of post-horror it's not a post-horror film because it is firmly within the horror genre um, I think just because it's a very effective horror film isn't a reason to separate it from the genre itself you know it, it's just an effective horror film um, and it does really well at that but I, I guess that a lot of audiences have been underwhelmed or disappointed by it because there are such long stretches where there's not really any horror and there's no scares Mm -hmm. it's it is just sort of family melodrama for a lot of its runtime mm -hmm. um up to sort of the last half an hour between that sort of big twist in the middle is that even in the middle first half hour i'd say is really strong mm -hmm. horror filmmaking and then it becomes this family drama for about an hour yeah and then the last sort of 20 30 minutes is balls to the wall <laughs> yeah nothing nuttiness yeah um and i guess it's that central point that's annoyed a lot of people yeah, it does have a very mixed reception. I mean, anything with that much hype is going to always do that. Um, but it has sort of sparked interesting conversations about what people think about horror. Um, and then people identifying it as an A24 horror. Um, yeah, I, I don't... It's a strange one. Having watched Ari Aster's short films, he has such a bold directorial style where um, 
there's a real precision to not just every camera movement and placement but also the way that he like match cuts and dissolves from scene to scene i think he's really strong talent mm-hmm. um and able to sort of bring in lots of genres at the same sort of time and uh, just i don't know yeah he just he i'm really get his like wavelength i think it's he's ridiculous at the moment it's my favorite directed film of the year so oh, far great. wow yeah um were you, are you not that high on it? Or? No, I do. I loved it. Yeah, I think it was really great, really effective, and I enjoyed it a lot. It was a really great cinema experience as well. Um, you know, the audience were gasping and jumping up in their seats and then self-consciously laughing at themselves yeah. for gasping. It was really interesting. Um, and I think it's a very rich film in terms of foreshadowing and little clues. You know, immediately after it finished, we were pointing out things that I'd missed, and then I wanted to go see it again to see what else I could see. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty... Um, so supporting performances are also really strong in this yeah I've seen like the whole film I've seen mixed reactions to Alex Wolf's performance but I thought he was incredible in it he had a great sort of strong presence his character is kind of almost passive and he doesn't do too much but you know I just love staring his little face all bloodied and bruised it was great he's really compelling isn't he yeah Yeah. and the way that the movie sort of sleight of hand it really is about him in in a way and you don't think it is yes. to start I think that was yeah it's interesting how they do play with the characters importance yeah you're right yeah but it's not I don't know it doesn't dismiss any of the other characters for that no it's, it just changes what it focuses really well I love Dan Dowd in it as well she's been in uh, shows like The Handmaid's Tale and The Leftovers she always plays someone super sinister super ulterior motive people and so Seeing her do something that's slightly different here, but uh, she has her batshit moments as well is is really good. I mean, when she's yelling at Alex Wolf from across the street, <laughs> that that is an absolute classic yeah. classic scene. Um, yeah, so I think for the first sort of two thirds of the movie, it is playing this sort of walking this tightrope between maybe it's all just a melodrama or maybe it's all, you know. Uh, something supernatural is happening to them and it's external um, and it's sort of doing that and then when it does become a full-blown supernatural thing I think it changes gears and it's then it did lose me a little bit um, because I feel like the power of that ambiguity is lost but still enjoyed that final third but I think I don't know it didn't quite push it into a very you know yeah it didn't necessarily give you something that you haven't seen before in other horror movies mm-hmm. in that in that side of it I think even something like Mother from last year has things in it that well, was doing similar things mm-hmm. um, someone cares oh yeah these two old ladies came to see it the other day and mm-hmm. when they left they were like what are all those models in the garden doing she's like well where do they come from <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny yeah I think that's a, that's the fun of hereditary day you always left with a lot of questions and little puzzle pieces and that yeah. makes it fun I mean we know someone that believed that the entire movie was uh, going on inside Tony Collette's head and yeah. um, nothing supernatural was going on at all Yeah. and I think that's another strength of the movie is like I, I personally don't buy that interpretation but like mm. the fact that that's open yeah. is, is like a, a strength I think yeah I like the way I feel like the title of the film makes 
because you're very aware of the title of the film is hereditary you're constantly thinking of that as a theme um through the film and thinking about how things relate to each other through that family mm -hmm. um and i like that i like a strong title like that yes um absolutely i do want to see the three hour cut that um i heard ari aster mentioning in an interview mm -hmm. um it wouldn't be more scary, but I'd love to see how how else he could have played with the space and and like letting scenes draw out a bit longer. Yeah. I mean that dinner table scene is like <laughs> mind blowingly good. It's yeah. her. I mean Tony Collette. We haven't really talked about how good her performance is mm -hmm. when she's saying things that she can't take back. That she's like expelling things from herself by s these secrets that she's kept for so long and suddenly saying them and she's like clutching her mouth as if she can put the words like back in there it's brilliant I think she's been a, a really great character actor for so long mm -hmm. so good to see her have this kind of film where everyone can actually appreciate how awesome she is absolutely yeah um so Hereditary has been met with a mixed reception and very high critical praise mostly um but it does have a cinema score of D plus on Rotten Tomatoes, there's a divide again. The critics are getting 89%, and then the audience score is 58%. What does that tell you about Hereditary? What do you think that means? I, I think it means that the, the post horror like marketing gimmick doesn't necessarily work for something uh, having like crossover appeal. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a way of making people that go to art house cinemas watch weirder horror movies. But if you actually want to sell it to a mass audience, as they try to do with Hereditary, doesn't necessarily work in the same way and I think even though it had a really strong showing early on we were saying that it's had made 40 million at the US box office which is really good for a film like this it's not I don't think it's broken through and been like the breakout summer hit that people expected that it would mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's a sign of a change in the in the post-horror landscape okay yeah I mean I don't know, yeah, does it hurt a film if you aim too broadly in its marketing? Because people come away from it a bit disappointed, or are you mm -hmm. not giving it a chance if you just don't only try to sell it to a small audience? Yeah, well, exactly. I think it, as long as it's out there and as accessible as possible, that's great. Like, okay. It's clearly one of the best films of the summer, and one of the films that you can talk about like the most. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean better that in lots of screens in the Jurassic world right <laughs> okay thanks for listening uh so that about wraps it up next week we're talking about method acting um with a focus on the film the misfits because it stars uh marilyn monroe montgomery clift and eli wallach who are all more studied method acting um so we're looking at how what role that kind of plays in that film yeah and if you want to uh, get in touch you can find us at judge movie pod on twitter or instagram and you can follow me, Ben Flanagan, at Pesh underscore lives on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Alicia with two L's. And yeah, we would like to hear your thoughts on method acting, like what, maybe what it meant then with Marilyn Monroe, maybe it means something different today with actors like Daniel Day-Lewis um, and maybe even Christian Bale. Like what, what does method acting mean? Uh, we're going to be keeping a very close eye on them. So uh, it looks like Movie Jail could be getting full very soon. <laughs> Stay safe.